This episode is brought to you in part by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The strongest MDiv just got stronger. Southern Seminary's new MDiv is now simplified, personalized, and incentivized. It's simplified by providing students a foundational core of 21 credit hours in each of these three academic disciplines, biblical studies, theological studies, and practical studies. It's personalized through 21 credit hours of electives that students customize around their unique ministry calling to earn graduate certificates. Those certificates indicate specialized training in key areas of ministry. It's incentivized by saving residential MDiv students $1,800 in tuition each semester. The benefits of all MDiv students are greater personalization, increased specialization, and the opportunity to earn more credentials in an efficient amount of time. Discover how you can benefit from an NDiv that is simplified, personalized, and incentivized at sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Once again, that's sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 15 14, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon. And I'm Lakin Liu, your other host. Be sure to check out other resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. We are so thankful to have you as part of our audience. We are in the middle of our year-end campaign to raise funds for the Biblical Counseling Coalition. And this year, we are doing a campaign called One Person a Week, where we are asking all friends of the BCC mm-hmm. to invite one person a week to support the ministry that we do, helping us build unity in biblical counseling, create great resources to equip the church to offer care from God's Word. So thank you for participating, and please invite one person this week to to support the ministry of the BCC. So, Lakin, we just wrapped up our interview with Darby Strickland on her new mini book called Trauma, Caring for Survivors. Uh, what'd you think? Man, there were so many little nuggets that I just, it was hard to think of one, um, but there was one that we even discussed after um, ending the recording was the term indifference and that mm. being what should the church's response be when someone comes up to them and tells them what has happened and understanding sometimes churches, they, they are overwhelmed of how do we care for this person? And so sometimes that they can come off as indifferent and think that this is something that needs to be handled by someone else, or they don't actually show care while they're trying Mm. to explain here's how we're going to show care. And so if they are indifferent, that does more harm than sending them off and trying to get them care from someone else. So if they are even giving, um, like saying, hey, let's let's send you to this person to get um, care. If they don't show their care in that and they show indifference, like that's more harmful than the ways that they think they're showing care. I know that was a mouthful, (laughs) but you'll be able to summarize that better. No, like that was the thing that stood out to me was the, when, when we asked, like, how do you, I asked, I think I asked her, how do you help a church understand Mm -hmm. how they can care for it, like enter into this and enter into the darkness. And she said, highlighting how indifference is a, is a, a whole nother level of evil that scripture describes. And she points to two rapes in, in scripture. And I don't want 
want to still still the thunder for <laughs> our audience. But that's one of the things I love about doing these podcasts is that I don't think that was in the book, um, but it just showed the depth of Darby's experience and wisdom and mm-hmm. how much she's drawing from as she created this wonderful resource. Uh, so audience, thanks so much for joining us and I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Well, Darby, thanks so much for joining us again on 1514. For uh, those who haven't met you or listened to our other interview with you, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I'm a counselor and faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation based outside of Philadelphia. Been counseling probably for about 20 years and mom of three and my 25th wedding anniversary is coming up this winter. So I'm really looking forward to celebrating that one. Congratulations. That's super exciting. Well, we are here today to talk about your new uh, mini book. I don't, I, it's such a weird term, but that is what it is. It's not a <laughs> pamphlet it, and it's not a full book. And we're kind of like addicted to these things in the biblical counseling world. Mm-hmm. Um, but your new mini book called Trauma, Caring for Survivors. Uh, I really love this resource and have recommended it to a number of people already. Uh, What led you to write the book? I think just culturally we were seeing not just counselors, but also churchgoers and pastors really being um, overtaken by the trauma discussion, Mm -hmm. right? Trauma comes on the scene and it's like, oh no, am I qualified? How do I minister to this? I know this person's particularly vulnerable um, and I don't know what to do. And so therefore, where do I, where do I send them? Mm -hmm. And so um, my heart was just in in some sense breaking for victims in that their churches felt a little overwhelmed by them. um, breaking for counselors who felt like, I don't know if I'm qualified to care well mm. for the traumatized mm. because the, you know, being trauma informed became the asterisk that you need next to your name. Mm. So I just really wanted to think, what does that really mean? Because it actually matters that we know what we're doing when we're working with a highly vulnerable population. So I really want to kind of, and also just kind of demystify, um, mm. as John Henderson says, trauma, what is it? Um, in such a way that we can approach it biblically without feeling overwhelmed by the category. No, that's that's super helpful. And we, we actually started overlapping quite a bit at one of the conferences because there's a PTSD track, an abuse track. Uh, and then actually, and we started having lunch together because obviously those things overlap and interact with one another. And you have a lot of experience uh, counseling in abuse and obviously writing your book, Is It Abuse, as well as some other mini books. Um, and then we also brought in kind of the addictions track because all of those things <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. swim together a little bit. Um, so I've really appreciated uh, learning from you and, and reading a lot of your writing. You bring such so much insight into such a tight, tight, tight um, packet here. That's what, one of the things I love about it. Um, but I keep rambling. Lakin, <laughs> what's the next question we should be asking Darby? Yeah, in light of the book, were there any particular questions that you were trying to answer? If so, were, what were they? And how do you how did you answer them in the book? Yeah, I think the two questions that were at the forefront of my mind is, how do I use the Bible when the problem is so overwhelming? Mm -hmm. And how do we think about the body, right? We're embodied souls. Mm -hmm. And so how does that impact how we bring people truth and what truths they need? Mm -hmm. Were those the two questions that you feel were overwhelming for the people in the church? to help um, answer and to help walk alongside someone who is highly vulnerable. 
Yeah, I think as far as the body goes, I think from the victim's experience, I think people didn't recognize the bodily experiences Mm -hmm. that they were having. So maybe they were talking with their pastor or their elder and they weren't recognizing that it was causing the person panic Mm -hmm. um, or their 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 inability to attend in the moment. Mm -hmm. So it was wanting to raise awareness there for the helpers because Mm -hmm. the victim's experience of that was true. But I don't think a lot of helpers were aware that that was happening because it's so well disguised, right? They kind of have to make it through the moment, um, sort of speak. So I just wanted to raise an awareness of Mm -hmm. there's a lot we have to, uh, we have to really think about the person suffering has impacted them holistically. Mm I want to give people eyes to see victims a little clearer. So going maybe backwards then in this question is how do you describe trauma and, and its impacts in somebody's life? Yeah, I think trauma, right. It can be an event or a series of events that, um, overwhelms a person, body and soul. And so it really hinders their ability. Um, I would say to flourish in the way that God called us Mm -hmm. to like, um, in their relationships and their relationships with the Lord and even just in the sense of being at home and safe in their own body. I like how you were able to put in, then it hinders them to flourish in the way that the Lord designed for them to, because it helps you see that person in the embodiment because the lord did design us with bodies and so we're able to he's equipped us with bodies to be able to serve and so if we just think about them as a heart then we're missing how the body is used to serve the heart does help inner like influence how our bodies do act but the body also does influence our heart so that really was helpful for me to even hear how the body with that being hindered is also how the Lord wants us to flourish. Yeah, no, I think, right. That's how we connect to our reality Mm. is through our physical experience. And that's often how we gauge how we think we're doing is, Mm. you know, is my heart racing, um, all those things, right. We, even our own bodily experience, uh, we use our bodies to worship in real tangible sense Mm. as well. Mm -hmm. But we often, we get a sense of how I'm doing by how, how is my body responding right now? When you mentioned, you mentioned that's helpful for the person, the helpers, for them to understand physiologically what's going on. But, uh, and I'm assuming you've found this in your practice as well. Sometimes the people who are hurting, uh, don't actually recognize and realize what's going on physiologically. Talk about that a little bit and how sharing that knowledge with them is helpful. Yeah, I think um, oftentimes trauma victims aren't present in the moment, right? So they can be look they and they don't even realize that they've checked out, or right. that their ability to make sense of language isn't accurate mm-hmm. in the moment. Um, yeah, so just even asking, working with them and checking in after talking to them, what was that like for you? Or what do you remember about our conversation? I think is, is really important. Um, other ways that they're not aware, um, is their inability to even organize their own story or answers. There's just a chaoticness that comes and a disordered thinking. 
Um, and I don't know that I would point that out to someone in the midst of them telling me a story that's meandering and no middle and end, but I certainly start hearing no middle and end, but I certainly start to bring it to their attention when the story gets a little bit more ordered. Um, mm-hmm. Just saying, look, at, look at, you know, you, we've, yeah, and they begin to recognize that as well. But just normalizing that for them, this is a normal experience of how, um, people who have endured similar things have struggled, I think is helpful. It, it, it lifts shame for people. Yeah. It lifts shame and fear an element of fear of just like, I mean, just like anybody who is experiencing something that's uncomfortable or undesirable, like physically they go to a doctor and if the doctor says, I have no idea what's going on, there's a level of fear mm. and, and anxiety that comes with that. Whereas if we can say, just like you said, this is not an abnormal freakish response to normal life. This is very common what you're experiencing through uh, and many other people who've been where you've been through are, are experiencing this. Um, so what, what are some of the takeaways that you're hoping people get from the, from the book? I think the one thing that I want to impress on people is before we do the higher level care of um, hearing people's stories of attending to specific things in their histories is that a victim really has to be stable. There has to be stability. Um, and often we were great empathizers. We, we want to hear stories and we don't remember that recounting victims as horror of horror is costly for a person or shameful for a person. So you might create this great environment where they feel that they can trust you and they share details with you, but there's no context of relationship. And now they don't want to come back. Like I I was too vulnerable too fast with you. Mm. And they, so that that's one aspect. Um, Another would be sometimes trauma victims are still in the midst of difficult relationships or living in the midst of abuse and what is really wise um, in what level of care or something was so horrific in the past that recounting it actually causes their symptoms or them to turn to alcohol or something to cope with the memories. So I, I kind of looked at the booklet of thinking what foundations need to be in place for it to be for good and wise to move into that next step of care. Mm. Yeah, giving the people who are to walk alongside them a a foundation to care so that they can receive the care that they need. That's great. That how did that um come up how did that thinking come about? Because that means you weren't thinking just about what care do they need. It's there's pre care. So how did that type of subject come in and how did you think through that? I think sadly, just by learning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there have been counselees that I've had that have come in and and told me precious details of their story, and then they struggled to come back, mm-hmm. right? And I thought, oh, like how could someone share all that and not come back? Oh, that mm-hmm. now I get that, right? So, um, other times it was my ignorance, and someone was relaying. Um, again, just something they really struggled and suffered with. And I was really fascinated by the details of their story. Like I was trying to understand, well, how could that happen? And where was that person? And what was the weapon used? Because I was trying to understand the moment. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really understanding what that person needed Mm. was to understand how they were doing with the memory, not actually what happened. Mm. Um, So I think it's sadly because I've aired and mm-hmm. I've had counselees who were kind enough to say, well, this is what would be helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, Praise the Lord for those counselees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I 
I try to begin every session by asking a question. Is there anything from last time that you mm. want to talk about? Anything um, that was, you know, that you didn't understand or that wasn't beneficial? So particularly when I'm working with people with trauma. Mm. Um, and I, you know, and I learned a lot of the time people do not hear me accurately. Mm would say a sentence and they and I and they would come back and say I said something completely different and I was like oh they're not actually hearing me this is really important they're filling in a lot of blanks and that's really scary because I'm representing the Lord's words here and they need to hear me yeah one of the big sections that you have in the book is the section called assess and establish safety and stability and you you mentioned it a little bit already um, and I really appreciated you talking about the fact that people might actually still be in a in a traumatic situation, in a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And I actually, a, a, an editor, read, first reader on my book, pointed that out. Like we need to highlight the first thing that needs to happen is get the make the trauma stop. Right? <laughs> but there are there are actually quite a few factors that you go through in this and in different types of stability. Uh, that people need. Can you walk through a few of those so people understand? what what they're looking what you're talking about what you're looking for in different aspects of a person's life where they need safety and stability yeah i think one is be able to cope, uh, cope is not the best word but the word i'm going to use now with the the content of what has to be counseling counseled so um you know if you're bringing up a distressing memory um and it overwhelms you emotionally or it leads you to self-harm or suicidal thoughts, that's really important. So there has to be a level of resilience, a a way to access the Lord or community where that burden can be borne before we're just bringing up hard content of counseling. Another one that I find particularly is um, relational stability, right? A lot of times people are wounded in their community when they're bringing forward their stories, or their families of origin are particularly tricky. So Mm. they either wind up really isolated or they try to confront something in their story and it just really makes the family or the church dynamics um, turn against them. And so we wanna think about, yeah, do they have healthy community or are they gonna be tied to these people who are hurting them? Um, Yeah, it just highlights for me the importance of the church in in the care process because this is mm-hmm. not the kind of caring for people who are experiencing trauma. It's not the kind of care that you just have somebody come in and talk to you for an hour, hour and 15 minutes a week and then leave. Like their whole, sometimes their whole life needs to, to change and be involved. So they need a lot of, of people and support. How do you... Um, when you go into a church, uh, how do you encourage and equip and train them to to get that mentality of care rather than this, what we typically think of as counseling? Yeah, I think I actually tell two stories. And one is um, there are two rapes in scripture. Um, one is... Um, you know, and she comes back and she's telling her brother, um, going to his house and saying, you know, she's covered in ashes and she's screaming. And, and he says, you know, has your brother not been with you? You know, don't take this to heart. He's your brother. And I was like, that's just a perfect example of minimization of gross indifference to someone's pain. And the other one is the Levite and the concubine, right? Where she goes out and she comes back in um, after being gang raped all night. And the the Levite opens the door, almost surprised to find her, right? And she's there in the threshold and he kind of heaps her over his animal. And scripture actually says there's nothing... 
there's been nothing more grotesque done Mm. and it wasn't the sexual assault it was actually the indifference towards her Mm. and and it's just these beautiful words right there in judges it just says you know direct your heart to her take counsel and speak Mm. and i think it's so hard for us we see evil we don't want to direct our hearts towards it Mm. but the indifference does a damage of a different kind so I just try to paint the picture and then even just how Christ, he was not indifferent. He became so up close and so personal um, and entered into the darkness um, for us. Um, and it's just a temptation to be judgmental or distancing or minimizing is always there. Um, so I just try to paint a picture from scripture mm-hmm. that indifference is gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. Man, that's, yeah, that's so good. And, it's obviously we're going off what the questions I had planned, but the Lord is sovereign even over this. Um, <laughs> that that's such a challenge for people, uh, mm-hmm. I think personally, mm-hmm. because like you said, we don't want to think mm-hmm. about evil. Mm-hmm. We don't. I mean, I, I've had conversations with people who are like, I don't know how you even do counseling. I don't want to hear people's garbage all the time. Um, but that's what the church is called to do. And I understand mm-hmm. that there are going to be some people who are called to this vocationally and others who are not. Right. But the, the, the position of indifference is not just neutral. It's, it's an evil, like you're saying mm-hmm. it's evil itself. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that's such a powerful challenge and encouragement. So mm-hmm. I, I don't have a question. Just, just <laughs> thinking about that. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we we don't have to fear being contaminated by it, right? We don't, and I think people often fear it's going to overtake me, and or I won't be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, and I think you and your all work, you've figured this out. Like sitting in someone and suffering is mm-hmm. one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. places, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, right. It's like there's sanctuaries, and mm-hmm. we get to see the God God at work in beautiful places and the way He shows up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's a sweet reward for sitting in ash mm-hmm. heaps. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it makes me think. Yeah, now I'm gonna go off script and ask a question <laughs> about <laughs> just thinking about how many times have this is for for both of you. How many times have you guys had to in a counsel counseling room? just sit there and eat your own pride of, I don't know where to go, but I know the Lord wants me here with you. And just telling the counselee, like, I don't know exactly what I want to say, but I do know that I'm like here with you. Like just you being able to express, like, I don't know what to do, but I want to sit with you in the waiting, or I want to sit with you. Like how many times have you been able to do that and like how freeing is that and knowing that like the lord wants you to say that 37 okay (laughs) (laughs) no i mean um i'll answer and then save the best for last let darby answer i think there there's lots of times where i've been in that position but i think even more than than the times that i've said i don't know what to do being able to just sit with somebody and recognize there is nothing to do mm-hmm. we we sitting and taking this to the lord and just being with you and weeping with you is mm-hmm. is all there is to do mm-hmm. you know there there isn't more than that and actually even i think for me some of the most powerful maybe not most powerful but very profound times are when they're just kind of shooting through these really 
severe instances of suffering, really extreme suffering, and they're not pausing to stop or think or reflect on it. And I have to like stop them and say, Hey, like what you just shared is Mm. terrible. Like Mm. it's painful. Can we just acknowledge that? And actually Mm. then just let them sit. And for some of them, not often, but for some of them, that might be the first time Mm -hmm. they actually grieve what was done to them. um, Because they just, for lots of different reasons, have just stuffed it, chosen to minimize it themselves and just move past and just being able to sit with them and say, 